Recording in progress. It's called the October 2nd, 2023 regular meeting of the Shoreline City Council to order. Will you please join me in the flag salute? I pledge allegiance to, to the, the flag of the United States, States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Will the clerk please call the roll? Mayor Scully. Present. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Here. Councilmember Ramsdale. Present. Councilmember Mark. Present. Councilmember McConnell. Here. Councilmember Povey. Present. Councilmember Roberts. Here. All right, next up is approval of the agenda. Councilmember Mork has asked that consent calendar items C through G be pulled, which will make them an action item <coughs> or items. And Ms. Youngke, I believe you had a suggestion for how we package those items for consideration. Yes, I believe. Yes, I believe that the recommendation was that we package the first item C into uh, one approval item um, and then the other four to be grouped together since they're all related to the wastewater utility. All right, and Councilmember Mork, is that acceptable? Pass. Okay. And with that change to the proposed agenda, are there any other requested changes to the proposed agenda? All right, seeing none, we'll proceed with the agenda as amended. Next up is, a, sorry, report to the city manager. Ms. Yucky. Good evening, council. Uh, there are a couple of days left to participate in our ground floor commercial survey. We wanna make sure all Shoreline residents and business owners have the opportunity to provide their input. So please visit engage.shorelinewa.gov forward slash ground floor and take a few minutes to tell us about other areas where ground floor commercial has worked well and what you'd like to see in Shoreline. Everyone who lives or works in Shoreline is invited to join us for City Learn, a new monthly series to learn about and discuss timely city issues. On Wednesday, join us either in person at City Hall or online via Zoom to hear about the Shoreline Fire Department. October is National Fire Prevention Month, so expect safety tips for home and work. Visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash citylearn for information. Our artist in residence, Salome MC, has put out the call for residents to participate in her experimental documentary, either on or off camera. There are only four remaining opportunities to join her at the Art Cottage at Richmond Beach Saltwater Park to add your vision to the documentary. All ages are welcome. Learn more about the project and see other upcoming dates at shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar. Start your Saturday with a shoreline walk, exploring points of interest in the Meridian Park neighborhood, including recent improvements to Ronald Bog Park. There's no need to sign up, just meet walk leader Donna at the parking lot in front of Meridian Park Elementary School. This walk is rated as moderate with some hills. Learn more and see other upcoming walks at shorelinewa.gov forward slash shoreline walks. And the Shoreline Farmers Market is celebrating the end of their regular season on Saturday, October 7th. Join them to shop for autumn fruits and vegetables, meat, baked goods, artisan crafts, and more. The market's located at the Shoreline Park and Ride on North 192nd Street and Aurora Avenue North and is open from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. The market will also have two special harvest market events upcoming on October 28th and December 16th. Learn more on their Facebook page or at shorelinefarmersmarket.org. And then finally, the next public meeting on the calendar is the Planning Commission on Thursday, October 5th at 7 p.m. The commission will discuss the 2024 comprehensive plan update and the agenda and information on how to participate are available on the city's web calendar. And that completes my update. Thank you. Next up are council reports. Are there any council reports? Councilmember Povey. Thank you, Mayor. Last Friday, I attended a meeting that was held by King County Council Member Dombowski at Campbell City Hall. And the whole objective is to look at how uh, DCHS of King County is funding the North End. Historically, there's been some discrepancies or possibly uh, 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 not a fair distribution of resources to the North End. And so he's looking at how um, cities, including Shoreline, can be funded um, in terms of human services support 
now that the VHSL has passed. And so uh, communications are going on. So hopefully uh, we can hear more later. But this was first of its kind. Thank you. Thank you. Any other council reports? I had uh, two meetings I met with state legislators this morning as part of a bus tour they did of transit-oriented development sites. They seem pretty impressed with what Shoreline is doing, and I also learned a lot from them on various uh, packages that are either in progress or already in place for funding housing for 50% AMI and below. And on a different note, I also met with the St. Luke's School third grade classes um, who had some very informed, honestly tough questions about tree preservation, and were very pleased that I had cats as pets and not dogs. Next up is a public comment. It's an opportunity for members, for members of the public to address us uh, for three minutes on any item on the agenda or any item of concern. My understanding is there's one person signed up for remote public comment and we don't have anyone signed up for in person. Is that accurate? That's yeah. correct. All right. So if you can go ahead and administer the public comments, we ask that you begin your remarks with your name and city of residence. Derek Blackwell. Hello. This is Derek Blackwell. I live nearby the Madeira Project on Linden Avenue. I'm speaking again about the neighborhood concern for traffic hazards with the finished design of the project, which is planned to have only one driveway connecting to the garage of this gargantuan building. Neighbors and I asked to be made parties of record for this project. As we learned, this did not gain us notification of any news about the development, corrections letters, deviations, changes in plans, some of us found out about such documents other ways, often too late to respond. Being a party of record grains the requester one thing only, the notice of final determination, and that's it. Following this, an appeal in King County Superior Court is evidently the only option in Shoreline for a type A land use action for which we would have 21 days to prepare, and that's it. I spent a tremendous amount of time looking into appealing. I followed instructions. The first revelation was learning by far the majority of environmental firms are on the side of the developers. Fascinating. So they're not there to protect the environment, but to find ways around that. They were very happy to give me referrals. I spoke with attorney Tom McCormick for about three hours. He and some of his neighbors also have traffic concerns with Madeira. Uh, we were both surprised to learn the only people who could be party to such an appeal are those who commented during the earlier public comment period, and that's it no newcomers. Tom would have been unable to raise issues himself since he had not commented. We were surprised to learn that those people appealing could only include the specific issues that they themselves raised during the earlier two-week comment period, and that's it. No new issues. You can't even add to an issue a neighbor raised. Tom consulted another attorney who told us we would lose, but I persisted. I spoke at length with about a dozen lawyers and traffic professionals. Absolutely everyone was surprised there wouldn't be a public hearing due to the streamlined process Shoreline has created. One land use attorney told me, you can't find an attorney to oppose Shoreline because they're so pro-development. When I finally reached the most popularly referred attorney, he heard my story for about two minutes and just said, I don't want to take your money, you lose. But I persisted. I told another attorney, city staff informs me Shoreline plans to double its population. The immediate reply was, money, money, money. Wow. So I'm hearing this from a lawyer. I was naive. The neighbors are right. I didn't believe it. Now I do. You won't believe what actually stopped me from appealing. I'll be back next week to tell you why. Thank you for hearing me, and thank you for all you do in these difficult times. Thank you, Mr. Blackwell. That concludes the public comment period. Next up is the consent calendar, only items uh, A and B. Is there a motion related to that, Deputy Mayor? I move to approve the amended consent calendar. Second. Will the clerk please call the vote? Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Councilmember Mork. Aye. Mayor Scully. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Councilmember McConnell. Aye. Councilmember Roberts. Aye. Councilmember Popey. Aye. All right, the amended consent calendar passes unanimously. Next up is action item 8A, which is former consent calendar item 7C. This is an action item, so we usually begin with a motion. So joining me remotely tonight We're, we're going to do a motion, and then oh, I'll... Oh, sorry. Staff. No worries. Yeah. It's, it's okay because no one's saying anything. 
Thank you. I got it. <laughs> I think we weren't expecting. Um, I move to authorize the city manager to execute a contract with Consor Engineers LLC in the amount of six hundred eighty-four thousand six forty-eight for engineering design and support uh, services for the wastewater pipe repair. Excuse me. We're, we're on did C. I, did I, yeah. did I, I, I move I, I'll over? Do it. Oh, duh. Go so ahead. We're, on, we're on 7C, which is to authorize the city manager to execute an amendment. See it? Yeah. yeah. No, I went too far ahead. Yep. Yep. It's on, it's on the screen. There we go. Oh, yeah. Want me to go? Oh. Yeah, please do. oh, sure. Sorry. Um, I move to authorize the city manager to execute an amendment to the professional services contract with Pertet Incorporated in the amount of $1,967,942 for final design of phase one of the 175th Street, which is a Stone Avenue to I-5 project. Is there a second? I'll second that for this okay. question. Ms. Junkie. So joining me remotely is Leif Johansson, who is a capital projects manager for um, this 175th project. He'll provide just a couple of uh, introductory comments around this agenda item, and then we'll be happy to answer questions. Leif. Yeah, good evening, council. Um, so this this um, contract with Pertit was originally set up back in January of 2019, and uh, between then and now, well, we've worked to bring the, the corridor, the 175th corridor between uh, Midvale and I-5 to the 60% design milestone. Uh, so this supplement uh, is necessary to provide additional scope to that contract to bring the first phase of construction, which is localized to the uh, Meridian and 175th intersection and then the, the Ronald Bog frontage. Uh, it, it brings that first phase to final design. Uh, it does not addru address the uh, subsequent phases on either end of that project. Okay. Anything further? That's no. it. Okay. We're happy to answer questions. All right. And it's your motion. Would you like to speak to it? Um, not particularly. Let me. Uh, I did get a request about the fact that we do have significant trees. Um, there, but I'm going to let Council Member Mort take that um, because I believe that might have been one of our issues. Um, I will be supporting this, however. Thank you. Other questions or comments? Council Member Mort. Hi. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, just to, uh, as an aside, while I why the reason I asked to have these uh, discussed separately is because we haven't really had an opportunity to discuss wastewater issues since I've been on council beginning in 2022, uh, with the exception of the rate studies. So I, I just wanted to make sure that people in the public uh, felt that we were being transparent about it and understood better what was happening. On this particular, um, there, there are several things that, that are part of this. One is there's great interest in a variety of people, both in the in the city and outside of the city, as they look uh, at the assumption of Ronald and and how is that working and how does that, uh, you know, make sense? Or are we more efficient than okay. we were previously? Councilmember, so I, I, I really apologize for interrupting. All we're discussing right now is 7C, which is the amendment related to 175th Street. Okay. Okay. I was trying to do a preamble, but I will stop. Oh, okay. On this particular one, there is two, there is two things there that I was wondering about. Uh, the first one is it discussed the grant and that the grant had been awarded and then there was some potential slowdown. And I'm wondering what impact that will have on this particular project. Leif, can you answer that? Yeah, I can speak to that. So. Um, we were notified just a few weeks ago by FEMA that um, funding for the FEMA BRIC grant, uh, which we're under the impression will be awarded for this project, but that funding is delayed uh, as they push some of the funding to um, communities hit with hurricanes, so the immediate needs funding. Um, so all we know at this point is that that funding is delayed until the the program is funded by Congress and then um, awards letters will come out. But unfortunately, uh, they're unable to give us any any dates at this point. Um, past, past years, I understand that in October, uh, sometime in October, they're able to 
give an updated uh, budget, you know, with the federal budget. But um, I understand other years it's been much later. So we're, we're just kind of on the fence right now. Mr. Johansson, with that uh, funding impact, just the construction dollars or the construction and engineering dollars? Uh, construction dollars. The, the FEMA funding is just funding construction of phase one of the project. So I noted that you said that our ability to get that funding would be put at risk if we did not fund this engineering dollars. Could you explain that? Um, so that funding, that FEMA funding, um, comes with a timeline. We have to spend it within three years of award. Um, so basi basically, if we are awarded the FEMA funding very soon, like tomorrow, then we have three years. And if this supplement isn't approved, then we may or may not be able to meet that timeline. Thank you. I, I appreciate that explanation. The other part to this is obviously there are impacts to uh, other assets that belong to the city. And uh, I'm sure that the plan, uh, Ms. Yonke, is to discuss that in more detail once you have more information. Is that correct? I'm not sure I understood the question of what you're looking for us to discuss further. So, so I consider trees, for instance, to be an asset of the community. Okay. You're, you're, you are not at a point to discuss that at this time, correct? That's correct. We've identified, as we did in the staff report, a high volume of trees that are going to be removed based upon our 60% design. Uh, as we move from 60 to 90, we'll further refine that. Thank you. And I, I just encourage you to be uh, transparent on that. Uh, thank you for answering my questions regarding this. I too support this. Uh, I meant this motion. Any further questions or comments? Will the clerk please call the vote on uh, agenda item 8A? Councilmember Roberts. Aye. Councilmember Poby. Aye. Councilmember McConnell. Aye. Councilmember Mork. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Mayor Scully. Aye. 8A passes unanimously. Next up is 8B to E, which is the former 7D to G. I'm looking for a motion. I, I don't think we need to read every word in there. I think we can come up with a summary. I, I, I suggest, there we go. I suggest the language in yellow at the bottom, which staff has already thought about. Deputy Mayor. Robertson. I move to authorize the city manager to execute contracts number 10772. 10773, 10774, and 10776, as described on the consent calendar published in tonight's agenda packet. Sir, second. Second. All right. Uh, Ms. Junkie. Joining me tonight here in person, we have Sam Supplewitz, who is going to provide a brief introduction. And then, as we have questions, we also have. Uh, Mr. Lance Newkirk and uh, Mr. John Featherstone and Ms. Les Kelly available uh, remotely uh, to answer questions as needed. With Sam, I will let you sit there and provide your brief introduction. Hi, I'm Sam Supowitz, again, wastewater systems engineer. Um, so these four contracts, uh, two of which are on call, the other are discrete CIP uh, design contracts for the wastewater utility. Um, are meant to address uh, projects identified for the capital improvement plan uh, for the wastewater utility. Um, the CONSOR contract for $684,648 is for uh, replacement of uh, undercapacity and damaged or um, assets pending failure uh, in the imminent future. Um, and the design of those assets uh, is under that contract, 10774. Um, additionally, there is that $300,000 on call, uh, which is meant to address mainly small works, uh, pipeline replacement efforts, so small segments of pipes, manholes, that sort of thing. Um, any external design, uh, an external design work that would need to be done could be performed under that contract if we can't handle it internally. Um, the 10776 for $534,535 with uh, parametrics is uh, for design services aimed at 
a fairly substantial wastewater pump station rehabilitation, along with three uh, pump stations, all of which require um, standby generators in order to meet uh, compliance with, with standard codes. Um, the 10773 is an on-call contract meant to address miscellaneous lift station, um, wastewater pump station uh, improvements as needed, um, and uh, also with parametrics. These were all uh, solicited for in a standard request for qualifications, uh, along with a uh, request for asset management uh, consultation services, which will be on a future um, consent agenda. With that, we'd be happy to answer questions. Great. Deputy Mayor, do you want to speak to your motion? I am planning to support this motion uh, and look forward to hearing Councilmember Mork's reason for pulling them. Councilmember Mork. Thank you, Mayor. My reason for pulling them again is, is that I think that people are very interested in understanding more about the, the city's wastewater utility, especially after it's been pulled, just trying to understand how it works. And uh, for these uh, particular contracts, are they all budgeted for in the, the wastewater CIP? Uh, yeah, these are the engineering services portions of the budgeted, uh, the budgeted amounts in the wastewater CIP. So list station 12, as an example, is in the wastewater CIP. And so the budget for the consultation services falls under that line. Thank you, Mr. Sipowitz. And what I understood you to say is for the on-call services, you that is in the event that internal staff cannot handle the question. Is that true? Uh, correct. Thank you. This, you know, this all this infrastructure stuff is is complicated and it's expensive. And I really appreciate the efforts of the city to keep ahead of it and keep us going. And personally, I support this motion. Thank you. Any other questions or comments? No, I, I would note that we approve the budget and the plan, and we don't generally go contract by contract. Um, so I, I appreciate the diligence here. I, I, I don't think we could go contract by contract for every department. I mean, the consent calendar is, is there for a reason. Um, but I appreciate that occasionally we do need to check in, and I think we, we've done that. So I will be voting yes in favor of this motion. Will the clerk please call the vote? Councilmember McConnell. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Councilmember Mork. Aye. Councilmember Popey. Aye. Mayor Scully. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Councilmember Roberts. Aye. The motion passes unanimously. Next up is, thank you. Next up is study item 8A, which is an update on the citywide parking enforcement program and the anticipated light rail restricted parking zones. Looks like we have Ms. Arcidi remotely and Ms. Dodinsky. All right. Good evening, Mayor, Council Members. Hopefully you can hear me all right. Thank you so much for having Ms. Dodinsky and I this evening. We're here to give you a brief update tonight on the implementation of the city's new parking program and possible update of the restricted parking zone program. Also, I'll be referring to it as the RPC program. As you know, the city is seeing new development in our mixed business zones in near our light rail stations. Cities that have already opened the light rail stations have experienced an increased need for parking enforcement due to both uh, the trans-oriented development and the transit-related parking occurring within the residential parking areas. The parking enforcement and expanded RPZ program was included in the 2023-2024 adopted biennial budget. It includes two full-time parking enforcement officers and a half-time parking, uh, excuse me, half-time IT analyst, a parking enforcement vehicle, and hardware and software to support both the enforcement and the RPZ expansion. In addition to these budgeted items, staff would also be taking on the work to update the existing RPZ program and the related sections of the Shoreline Municipal Code. There have been several key accomplishments with the parking enforcement program to date. 
including identifying and purchasing a vehicle, drafting the job description for the parking enforcement officers, and proposing the staff schedule, which I'm gonna to touch upon uh, just very briefly here for you all this evening. At this time, we're going to be proposing a Monday through Saturday schedule with one officer working a Monday through Friday schedule and a second officer working a Tuesday through Saturday schedule. Coverage between the two officers will be between 4.30 a.m. to 9.30, 9, 9 p.m., excuse me. Issues that arise outside of those hours will be handled the same way that they are now, which is by people calling the um, police and they can be handled through dispatched calls for service. We will address schedule changes based on data from the ticketing and dispatch calls for service. So we can make adjustments to the schedule. For example, we can move to a five day a week schedule if that is what the data shows is necessary, or we can switch to a seven day a week program, um, again, depending on what the data shows. Now to move to the RPZ update. So the two light rail stations are anticipated to bring, again, both the transit-related development and the transit-related parking. That's gonna have an impact, we anticipate, on the residential neighborhoods around Shoreline North and Shoreline South light rail stations. So Sound Transit's special use permit requires them to complete a parking study, including the pre- and post-revenue service impact analyses around those two station areas. If the study shows there's been impacts to available parking, the city intends to impact, intend to mitigate the impacts using the restricted parking zones or the RPCs. The size and scope will be determined by the parking study itself. Residents would be eligible for a certain number of parking uh, permits and the city would conduct outreach well in advance of implementing the RPCs to ensure that residents are aware of the change. Since the city already has one RPZ, we would take the opportunity to update the RPZ program should it need to expand, which would likely include recommended updates to the Shoreline Municipal Code, and those updates would come to council after the parking study was performed. In terms of next steps, staff are currently updating and finalizing the list of requirements for hardware and software to support the parking enforcement program and the likely RPZ program, CERN RFQ, can be announced. Like most projects, the hardware and software implementation is the greatest threat to the parking enforcement program starting on time. And our current start date for the parking enforcement program is currently set at September 1st, 2024, aligning uh, with the anticipated start date of the revenue service for Sound Transit's uh, Linwood Link extension. The city is expecting a revenue start date update though from the Sound Transit Board for the Linwood Link extension. And we're expecting that to be announced after the October 2023 uh, Sound Transit Board meeting. This is gonna impact the dates of the Sound Transit required parking study. So the parking enforcement program in terms of right, uh, financial impact was already included, like I said, in the 2023-2024 adopted biennial budget. I will though also include that we do anticipate some level of support from Sound Transit for the mitigation of parking related impacts, but those likely won't be seen by the city until 2025 and they will be negotiated according to the special use permit. So there's no action for council on this issue this evening. This is for discussion only, and we recommend that you all discuss the parking enforcement program and ask questions about the 2024 implementation of the parking enforcement program this evening. So thank you, Mayor. We'll, we can take your questions. Questions or comments from council? Councilman Rapsdale. Thank you, Mayor. Um, well, I just only have one question, and in the south and north RPZ zones, will residents, um, will there be a fee associated with those permits, or will those permits be offered for free for those residents within those zones? Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the question. Kendra, do you want to take that question at this time? I can. Yeah, it would, it would be our assumption that there would be a fee associated with the RPZ permits. Um, I, I think there might be some flexibility the first year, depending on Sound Transit's contribution to the mitigation and negotiation efforts there. Um, but kind of into the following years over time, uh, the, the fees are typically necessary to sustain the program. 
Councilmember Roberts. Thank you, Mayor. I have a couple of questions. Um, first, what powers or what limitations does a one of these will one of these officers have? Can you be a little bit more specific about what? I mean, are, are they are they do they have full police powers, or are they limited to the powers in which the, shore, the city of Shoreline gives these officers to issue tickets? Thank you. Yes, so they will be limited in their ability to uh, give tickets based on uh, the RCWs related to parking and what we identify as within the program. We believe that we'll be coming back to council to formally authorize the program probably in the first or second quarter of next year. And so they, um, in some cities, they are given the ability to tow vehicles, for example, for abandoned vehicles and things like that, but they will not have the uh, ability, for example, to write tickets for uh, moving violations, for example. So this is only for parking related tickets. So would parking related tickets include um, vehicles blocking a bicycle lane or commercial vehicles uh, sort of parking in the middle of the road and making yes. deliveries from the middle, I mean, from the, from the center line. Yes, those would be included. Okay, so any, as long as the vehicle's not moving, these basically, okay. Because Correct. I know that, especially when we look at um, some of our mixed use zones, we, there is going to be, We'll have increased delivery traffic when we are already seeing increased delivery traffic. And I know I've witnessed many uh, delivery vehicles ignore, basically ignoring pretty much every parking requirement, but in, including <laughs> blocking bicycle lanes and other uh, traffic lanes. So thank you on that. Now the um, we've since we've we when we started discussing this program, the RPZs were going to be likely limited to our light rail stations. But right now, in terms of where we see lots of development and we think about um, what we're hearing and we've heard a public comment for the last few weeks and even before that, we have lots of development happening along Aurora. Now, um, I, I'll, I'll just say that if you're not watching, here and watching, Councilman Ramsdale is nodding his head and recognizing <laughs> that, uh, I think with the recognition that um, many, much of the development and many people from those developments might be parking or might end up parking in some of our residential neighborhoods, which have, um, so what, have we given any thought at this point to considering additional RPZs outside of the station areas and outside of out, the outside of the current RPZ near Shoreline Community College? Yeah, I can field that question. Um, so, an RPZ could be a tool uh, that we use in certain areas of the city where parking uh, demand is either exceeding or kind of exceeding the target thresholds for the supply. Um, the challenge with what we are seeing in Shoreline is that we can't, uh, it, it would be discriminatory to say that folks in the redeveloped, you know, lots in multifamily scenarios are not, you know, uh, equally as um, able to obtain those permits compared to the existing or pre-existing residents, so we would have to offer them to everybody. Um, and that sort of waters down the ability to, you know, deal with that supply and demand issue, if you will. It's the, the demand is still there, uh, kind of regardless of the RPZ. The RPZ does have an effect. I mean, it, it is utilized in residential areas and in other cities um, as a way to kind of decrease demand slightly, um, but ultimately, it is not a super effective tool for dealing with what is a, a baseline, just a, a residential demand. Um, RPZs are typically used to mitigate against um, trip attractors like uh, arenas or uh, light rail stations, things of that nature, where you're really trying to mitigate hide and ride parking or people kind of arriving to those destinations in vehicles that could otherwise be arriving via train or bus or, or whatever. Um, the, the thing that I've been trying to be really transparent about is I think in Shoreline we have a, a huge supply of on-street parking and it is 
highly likely that into the you know near future we're going to continue to see people from those multifamily residential redevelopments park on the street because it's free um so until it becomes you know equalized in terms of uh you know difficulty finding a spot and the cost to folks uh we're going to continue to experience the demand on our streets um and there's not not really a tool to solve that problem to be honest with you there are time restriction tools there are you know a very a variety of other uh, parking prohibitions that can be put in place but those ultimately impact the folks that you know have have historically used the parking on the street that sort of feel entitled to it right so there's there's a challenge there of growth and of change that is not well mitigated by any parking tool based on the types of land uses that we are seeing now as we start to develop with maybe ground floor commercial and other business uses there are kind of toolkit expands to metered parking or other types of time limited parking but when you're really dealing with what is at its heart just residential demand uh it's it's difficult to mitigate that issue through uh, tools that aren't just straight out prohibitions. Um, enforcement is an important part, though, to make sure it's at least ha happening safely and mm -hmm. in compliance with laws. No, thank you for that answer. I appreciate that answer. Um, Mike, I wonder, though, if the city has a plan to do some of baseline measurements um, like we did in the light rail stations for some of the other areas that we're seeing mixed use um, so we at least have it have a baseline now and so we know what we have we sort of know when do we need to make adjustments as you as you describe in the future so thank you yeah that's that's a great question i we do have some baseline studies for the westminster triangle area as an example but I do uh, see there being a, a certainly a fundamental need to expand that to other uh, of our, we're gonna talk about high activity areas, right? With the, the transportation master plan. So I think the same kind of principle could apply to parking study. And uh, I will have to kind of circle back with public works team to determine whether we have resource to do that at thank, this time. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. That's Member Pelby. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, my question has to do, and you don't have to necessarily answer that this evening if you don't have the numbers, but ongoing cost. So I see from the staff report, the cost for the vehicle, the officer, the software implementation, and we know how it is with software implementation. It has to be maintained, you know, be updated, you know, version upon versions. So I'm wondering if the revenue generated is not able to cover all these costs. Must the program be continued? Or was the backup plan to sustain operations with this specific project? Yeah, I can get you that information um, after this meeting, but I do believe that the the plan was for some revenue to come in, but ultimately that this would be a general funded general fund funded program that the both the permits that would be brought in to pay for parking and for RPZ and the number of tickets would not cover the costs for this, uh, for the operations. That's, that's a little interesting. So we are implementing a program which would not be self-sustained, but we are spending money to implement the program. Is that what it is? That's correct. Okay, that brings me to the next question then. 5.30 a.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, we want to start with long hours and see if there's the need for it. If not, then we'll cut down the number of hours. If there's, more, if there's a need, then we will add more, which means more cost. So, we are making a best guess to start on the hours. We have talked to some other jurisdictions about when they are running their program. It wouldn't necessarily mean that we need to run the program every day at certain hours. So for example, SeaTac, we just did a site visit on Friday and two days a week, there one of, one of the officers comes in at three in the morning to do night uh, ticketing, for example. And so they have two officers that work 40 hours a week 
And so it's really about moving the, the shifts to accommodate when you need the, the coverage for the, um, for, for when you're doing the ticketing. So it would still, any of the proposals that staff was looking at would still be using the, the current resource. So it would be the two officers at 40 hours a week. We wouldn't be go, we wouldn't at this time be proposing anything more than what we have. Got it. And I, I would just add to that parking programs in general are fairly dynamic and typically require uh, you know, yearly updates of analysis to make sure that your fees and revenues are at least trying to get toward balanced. Um, so part of this equation is obviously what are our, you know, uh, monetary penalties for tickets, um, as well as what are the RPZ permit fees. And so depending on the demand for that program, all of this is, is very much in flux in terms of how we set those fee schedules and how we might update monetary penalties in the future. But you know, I think cities strive to sort of try to balance that the best they can. Um, and I think we have received direction historically from council too that we're not trying to make money on this program either, but trying to kind of get it to a semi-equilibrium to the degree possible. So I think it will be an ongoing uh, operational analysis. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Other questions or comments? Councilmember Mork. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so I'm just trying to understand how this works for areas that are not in the RPZ. Will, will these officers be available or does it go through the regular police? Yeah, so the parking uh, program is for the entire city. And so when we kick off in September of 2024, the primary focus will be on um, manner of parking, which is all the things that you typically think of when you get a parking ticket. So you've parked too far away from the curb, you've parked too close to a intersection or a stop sign, you've parked going the wrong way, you've blocked a driveway, you know, all those kinds of things. That happens quite a bit and the only folks who are taking care of that at this point are the police and it's not a priority. And so while they get the calls, they don't always get to go out to them. And so in this case, the parking officers will be able to take those. They'll also do at least the first part of the um, abandoned vehicles and being able to uh, coordinate with police on those. Um, we're hoping that they'll be also able to support with the towing as well. So that also frees up officers to not be sitting and waiting for tow drivers as well, um, tow operators rather. So uh, there's actually quite a bit of work they should be very busy right off the bat. Um, I'll say that uh, we do get a lot of feedback from residents about trees, but I would say right next to that is parking. So I don't foresee them being um, anything but very busy from day one, um, given just what comes to my inbox, let alone Kendra's and my other colleagues. So while we're only 11 square miles, there's a lot of different types of, um, you know, not everywhere has sidewalks, for example. And so there is just some confusion about what is, where it's okay to park and how it's okay to park. And so I think we're going to learn a lot right away about what's actually happening in some of our neighborhoods and hopefully make it safer for everyone. Thank you very much for your answer. I think that is really important to do that learning. I have heard many, many people complain about parking. So I, I agree with your assessment is, is that it's a it's an important issue. Uh, for areas such as we just were speaking of Linden Street and the complications uh, there. So what could happen is, is that if residents felt that there was parking improprieties, they could conceivably call this number at, to report their concern. Is that correct? Absolutely. So our officers will get to know the city and they'll have their regular areas where they know that there's some challenges. So for example, when the current apartment went up, our police did make some very frequent 
visits at several times a day, coordinated with Kendra for some new signage, and they work together in a future state when a new building would go up. That would be our parking enforcement officers to do that work. And so these officers are going to know where there's some regular issues. They're going to hit those. And yes, when a when something new pops up, residents will know we're going to have a, a website up. We're going to have frequently asked questions. We're going to let people know how they pay their tickets. We're going to be sharing with folks coming this um, this coming year in current articles about how to park so that people can avoid getting tickets. So doing some education around that, working with our police department who works with residents regularly. So we're gonna try and get ahead of this so folks know that this is coming in all the ways. Um, but yes, really make this uh, an opportunity where everyone knows that we're going to have this level of enforcement and this, um, this resource available for folks when things are amiss and they can reach out. Thank you. It's Clearly, you've spent a lot of time and attention on this, and I really appreciate you and Ms. Dudinsky's attention. Thank you. Further questions or comments from council? All right, I, I had a couple, maybe more than you would expect with a parking study, but um, a bunch of stuff occurred to me. For, for starters, the, the staff report talks about using a parking study to decide where to place a restricted parking zone. Can you summarize for me what a parking study involves? Yeah, it's pretty simple. Um, you go out and you measure the available legal parking on the streets. Um, and then you uh, essentially go, go out during the peak usage periods, which is something we work to determine um, during morning, sometimes midday, and then usually the night. So the residential peak, if you will. Um, and you compare how many of those legal spaces are occupied. And that's, it's basically just a supply and demand uh, exercise. And there's different ways to analyze it in terms of, you know, how you might heat map certain areas, but typically it's done on a block length. Um, and what that means in certain areas can, can vary, but um, you would typically be looking at, you know, maybe five blocks square, uh, when you're talking about implementing something like this. And it could be that we implement it on a pretty small scale uh, as a starting point, but but yeah, just really looking at where is the the peak demand and is it exceeding that threshold that, that would get us to an RPC. Um, what is the threshold? So that's up to us. <laughs> and I think for light rail, it's, I think we might make some discretionary um, decisions on that, that that might look a little different than we would apply it elsewhere in the city, mainly because of our interest in mitigating hide and ride parking. We don't really want to encourage people, especially from far away, to drive here and park. We want them to take other modes if possible. Um, so we might set that a little bit lower than what we would otherwise, but typically it's somewhere between 70 and 85% is where cities will, will set their threshold with 70% being kind of the low end and 85% and being a higher end. Thank you. Is there a mechanism for citizens to request that a parking study be done? Yes. So while I, I don't think that we're necessarily well geared up in terms of staff resource to study this um, just yet, this might come with the development of the program is maybe some on-call support for conducting studies um, and or depending on, you know, potentially extra help. But um, we do have, you know, on in every way you can contact our traffic operations department and, and get help with something. And we have conducted RPC studies in the past based on request um, several times, in fact. So we, we do it, but on the scale, the order and magnitude of which it might be requested in the future, that that is kind of a to be determined based on staff resource. Okay. I, mean, I, I would obviously encourage staff to keep things as non-discretionary as possible, just because we then oh, sure. get complaints yeah. about fairness and why was this denied and that one not denied. Yeah, again. absolutely. Um, just like with moving violations, the economic impacts of a parking ticket is, is different depending on how much you make. Is there a mechanism for mitigating the amount? So we, during our site visit to SeaTac, 
this past Friday, talked a bit about this and what I understand, um, but have not had time to go into great detail. So I can come back to you, uh, Mayor, once I get a little bit more detail on this, is that once the ticket is transmitted uh, to the courts, it then is in the court's hands for that. So my understanding is, yes, there is, but that it is at the discretion of the judge to do that. I think court systems operate within laws, and I think if we established a, a program by municipal code, that would be the guidelines for it. I, I, would, I would ask that you look into that, and I would encourage us to, to consider it, just because you hear horror stories of people in places like New York City that end up with just thousands of dollars of these things, and they can't ever pay them off, and it just it's, it's can be a life-changing impact. Um, Certainly. Yeah, I don't think that it's within any other uh, value that we have and anything else that we've done with our criminal justice program and public safety program that we would want that. So absolutely. Thank you for that direction. Um, a couple of other comments. I, mean, I don't view this as a revenue generator. I view it as like the police. We don't expect them to be revenue neutral. And I, I view it mostly as a way to get non-police burdens off of patrol officers. That's, that's the goal. And I hate the term force multiplier because it's a military term and it's police around military, but it's what they use. And when I've spoken with individual officers and with the chief, the best way to get more patrol officers out there and to get commercial burglar investigations going is to stop them having to respond to all this stuff that could really be handled by someone who isn't a, who isn't a police officer. So that's part of the motivation behind Racer. For me, that's part of the motivation behind this. And with that in mind, I would encourage you to make the scope of these officers' duties as broad as possible, with the ability, of course, to always call a police officer if a situation is so tense. And my personal experience with that is there was a gentleman who was parking school buses that he was fixing up on the street, and it took over a year of me personally bugging the police to get them to come out and cite him. And when they finally did, it was four patrol officers and sergeant. I was like, that's all of you. Like, what? why? Why was this handled this way? There has to be a better way to get routine things done in a routine manner. And this to me is, is the fix to that. With that in mind, I hope it stays as reactive as possible, less about always canvassing the RPZs to make sure we never let somebody park overnight without a permit and more being flexible to go out and deal with the person who's complaining because his neighbor always parks blocking his mailbox or, or whatever it is, because I don't, now, that, 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 that to me is, is the concern we're addressing, less making sure we never have a hide and ride. I don't personally care that much about that unless it's impacting the neighborhood so much that it's, that it's affecting quality of life. Um, finally, 4.30 seems to be not a reactive time. That seems to be a catching people time. So I'm, I'm just wondering about that start time. I think same question comes from Robert's asked. It just seems to me that that's there's not a lot of demands from people at that time of day. It's more just cars they see, and, I, and I'm wondering if that meets the goals of what I think we're trying to accomplish with our program. I can respond to that to start, just to say that I think in part it, it addresses some of the early morning issues where somebody can't get out of their driveway, um, which comes up quite a bit. So that's more or less what we're trying to cover, but I think as Christina said, we'll, we'll definitely review and scale the hours accordingly. Okay. Any further questions? or? Question. I did think of something. Um, thank you, Mayor. And that is, how will we handle uh, boats? The mayor mentioned buses. I'm thinking about my neighborhood, boats, things that are trailed you know, behind big vehicles or big vehicles, RVs themselves. Um, what do we do with those types of vehicles when they want to park? And maybe you get a permit to park in our RPZ zones. So I will say that that has been out of scope for this specific project only because it opens so many other avenues for discussion, but not because it's not an important issue to discuss. So I don't have an answer for you, Deputy Mayor, but it is something that staff knows that we need to address. So I'm sorry that I don't have an answer for you, but it is something that we are trying to work on. Kenner, do you have a follow-up? Yeah, on? I mean, I, I would say, too, that I, we are obviously always listening to council feedback, and if this is a priority for council, for staff to study and come back with action on, we certainly can. I mean, part of my role as the city traffic engineer is to adjust, 
you know, the model traffic ordinance at a, at a minimum um, if adjustments are needed. And so I'm, I'm open to that. Um, I know we've at least kind of uh, delved into this topic at least once once or twice before with council that nibbled around the edges of things like boats and RVs in the right of way, um, but was generally more aimed at the time limitation, um, which is tied to this topic. Um, so yeah, certainly open open to feedback there. I don't need an answer right now. Um, just, yeah, thank good to know that the city is thinking about it. Um, and I think there will be an education element at some point with the community once we make a decision along those lines. Thank you. So I was I was personally cited for parking a boat on a trailer in Shoreline. So either that law is already there or I should have fought it 15 years ago when I got it. So I don't, but I, mean, I, I would view that kind of thing as within the scope of the parking enforcement officer's duties. If there's already a law in the books, it shouldn't matter what it, what kind of vehicle it, it addresses. Councilman Roberts. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, I think that this discussion has elicited a few other questions. The first question I have uh, in the report, it talks about the desire to get a she use a Chevy Bolt for the officers, which makes sense. I'm wondering and thinking about some of my experiences charging electric vehicles, um, whether if you have someone moving from 4.30 till 9 o'clock at night or the vehicle being shared across a couple of individuals, whether the city has enough charging resources currently or especially level two, level three chargers to actually make sure that the vehicle has a full charge, especially or for the person starting at 4.30 in the morning or uh, a full charge at the uh, time of the sh shift change? We believe we do at this point. Um, each car that is an electric vehicle ha currently has its own charger. So um, we do believe we have enough at this time. Okay. <laughs> Feel skeptical thinking, knowing what's in city at City Hall, or at least the charging resources here at City Hall. I think we may have to upgrade those um, chargers to something faster, um, so that these vehicles can be on the road as much as possible. Um, yes, I know you can sort of charge overnight, but charging overnight for most people is 6 p.m. to 7 a.m. or so. <laughs> um, so I, I'm also wondering, I mean, I think one of the things to consider would be probably maybe even getting a second vehicle or so that each officer or each would have a, their own vehicle so you don't have to worry about charging. But that's, I guess, a question down the road. Um, some of the discussion here was talked about some of these officers being um, on sh duty from 4.30 on. Now, some of that time... I presume would be also sort of doing paperwork and other types of things. Is that correct? Yeah, so we uh, met with CTAC and went through with them how quickly it takes to write a full ticket, which includes looking up the vehicle in the CAD system with police to make sure the vehicle is properly registered and then entering it through the ticketing software, printing out two copies of the ticket, one for the vehicle and one for the court system. And it takes about three minutes to do all of that. So three minutes um, from the start through the end. So there's not a whole lot of paperwork after that. Um, it It's pretty, uh, it's all wrapped in one package, if you will. So it, they're really out in their vehicle most of the time. They have routes that they run. With the RPZ program, they run them every three hours. Um, they're obviously in an area and in SeaTac where they have a lot more hide and ride traffic because of the airports and the hotels there. So they have some different focus than we would in Shoreline, obviously. Um, and uh, they have some different requests from their residents around their RPC program, but um, they are also have a lot of abandoned vehicles similar to Shoreline. So they spend a lot of time uh, on the abandoned vehicles as well. So um, there's not as much paperwork with the ticketing, but there is some that goes along with waiting for the, the tow operators and things like that. Okay, so the reason I was asking is that 
there's expressed some concern about four, being out at 4.30. But I would think with, I know with uh, many of the um, fully certified officers, they are spend lots of time doing paperwork and are doing those kind of reports. But that's not necessarily the case with these officers then, it sounds like. Okay, the final question I have is, um, the mayor talked about sort of timing and when an RPZ zone might go into effect. My concern is that I wouldn't want to see an RPZ zone go around, start at 180, round 185th and not have one 145th, vice versa. I think that if one of those sub areas triggers the need for an RPZ, I would hope that and expect that we would do it. That would trigger both uh, sub areas, maybe not because I would be resident to sort of see people, oh, I can't park at 185th, but I can park around 145th or vice versa. So um, I think that we don't want, we, we need to treat these two state sub areas equally, even though they're, uh, even while recognizing they're different and the challenges of each uh, sub area are different. But I think that if one is triggered, the need for one, an RPZ in one area is triggered, we need to trigger it in both. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember McConnell. Thank you, Mayor. So, so could somebody answer that question? Because I assumed that 145th and 185th station areas would be triggered simultaneously because the stations are going to go uh, open up simultaneously. Is that correct? Yeah, so I think that was more what I was trying to hint at when I say discretionarily. I think I, I, I'm not sure if we'll get to the exact, let's say, 85% threshold on the high end of demand in those areas directly surrounding both light rail stations, but you might have something like 75 and 80, and that might be reason to, to launch RPCs for both. So that that's more what I meant is in terms of discretionarily instead of a set hard number for which under you're absolutely not you know getting an RPZ and over you are um, but yeah I think there's certainly a logic to uh, both being implemented simultaneously given that they're so close to one another and you could just go to the next station right yeah so other questions triggered my, some other questions for me boats and RVs none of which I have are they uh, similar to a car being in that spot right now or are they um, treated differently and therefore treated differently with citations or what I, I'm really asking because I have no clue <laughs> thank you muted yeah sorry I was trying to unmute myself so I would say that we are not really proactively enforcing parking of boats or other recreational things in the right of way unless, you know, it's typically it's spurred by complaint and, and will, I, I think in probably in most cases, uh, our customer response team is going out and kind of making contact with folks and trying to resolve those issues to the degree possible. Um, I'm not aware that we're really ticketing much, if any, <laughs> for for boats in the right of way right now. Um, I think, and don't quote me on this, I can get this information to you later, but I believe that if it's attached to a vehicle, it might be able to park in the right of way as long as it's properly licensed and registered with the trailer. Um, but I don't know that you're allowed to leave a boat kind of alone without a moving vehicle. I think that you have to have an operable vehicle parked on the street um, that's attached to it, I, I think. Well, that would seem the case, and thank you. Um, in general, I'm thinking this program is going to have to be pretty nimble right from the get-go, and, and and I'm feeling really sorry that you guys are going to have to probably uh, react quite a bit to things that you didn't expect, and uh, I, I'm pretty confident that you will, but we will get complaints because we won't be able to uh, react quick enough or... Um, or take care of uh, changes in the community with our uh, with parking practices. One of the things I'm concerned about is when does it actually fail completely because there isn't enough parking at the stations and there's so much growth and not enough parking close enough to the 
MUR 35, 40, you know, for um, th those increased densities, which we have not experienced. So the changes will probably surprise all of us. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, the real goal and vision is for people in those zones to transition away from single car, uh, you know, ownership um, and move toward more car-free lifestyles. And that's, you know, hopefully a lot of the policies and goals that have been challenging, but really worthwhile to work through these last several years will get, get us toward that vision sooner than later. Um, but understand we're, we're certainly in a growing uh, and learning curve right now. Any other questions or comments? All right, thank you very much. And I think you told us this earlier, but can you remind us when we next uh, consider this issue? We will next come to council with an ordinance authorizing the parking program. We're going to actually be coming to council with two different ordinances, and it will probably be either in first or second quarter of 2024 to authorize the program. Um, this will be to update the Shoreline Municipal Code with um, any updates for parking enforcement related issues. And then we'll come later when we need to update the actual RPZ program. Great, thank you. And that concludes study item eight or nine A and we are adjourned. <laughs>